the same time, they are also supporting services in Malaysia. We just had a discussion today with the Malaysia team where we have one of our biggest um, MRO sites, uh, maintenance repair and overhaul sites. And the team here in India is supporting them. They're supporting customers in the Middle East. They're developing analytics for how to predict dust and its effect on, on engines. They are using artificial intelligence in order to be doing that. They're developing services technologies to help and support our customers worldwide, not just in the region. So it's not just for India. It's, it's completely part of our global network of engineers that's about developing innovations. And in addition to that, they are a big part of our future generation of technologies that, that we are developing. I, I think that's a big component. Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the Daily Tech Conversation, where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs, and investors. I'm Hari Arakli, and in this episode, Muhammad Ali, Vice President of Engineering at GE Aerospace, the top engineer at the company, talks about his long tryst with India, where increasingly, he says, all the action is. Muhammad talks about the globally integrated role GE Aerospace's 1200 or so staff in India play in developing the company's next generation of products, including its RISE technologies, which is GE's bid develop sustainable aviation of the future. He also talks about what inspires him every day as an engineering leader and some lessons from his career. So thank you so much for making time to my pleasure. meet me here. Thank you for having me. Sure, you're, you're no stranger to this. I'm going to jump right into it. I mean, um, has your work brought you to India before? Oh, many times. Okay. I can't even count how many times I came here. In the Indian context, what are some of the changes that you have seen over the years in the industry? I see when I when I came here first, in uh, my first time here was 1999. Mm. The only way to travel to Bangalore was I had to take a trip to France, then Bahrain, then Mumbai, then Bangalore. Mm. I don't have to do that anymore. There mm. are direct flights to Bangalore from many places around the world. I came to the old airport in Bangalore. It's, it's, I'm sure it's a relic of the past right now. I, I actually haven't been there uh, to that old airport, but I understand it's part of like the city center now in, in Bangalore. Mm. And the new airport, which is probably not new anymore, there's a new terminal that's being built. And the new airport is beats any international airport um, I am aware of. Um, you know, this just talks about the infrastructure, let alone the aircrafts that we typically fly on. I mean, GE spent the past uh, 10, 15 years working on what we call engine renewal, mm -hmm. in which CF-56 was succeeded by LEAP, CF-6 is succeeded by GNX, and now we're working on G90 being succeeded by uh, uh, GE9X, CF34 succeeded by Passport 20. If you put that all in perspective, these engines are flying and flying in a, in a big way. It's not uncommon now for people to be flying on 787 or on the MAX or on the A320neo. All of these are great aircrafts uh, being powered by all of these engines. And the beauty of it is these engines are 10 to 15% better fuel burn than their predecessors. Mm. 
th th this is a change that we are also you know in the infrastructure in the type of aircrafts we fly on it's a change that we're seeing unfolding in 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 front of our own eyes and you know as you probably know we're already busy working on what the next change is going to be mm -hmm. To the extent that you can discuss them, what are some of your top objectives this time around coming to India? Um, multiple things. Um, first of all, I haven't been here in a while. My last visit here was uh, end of 2019, obviously was interrupted by COVID. I always like the personal touch with my team. And I think the team here likes me. They consider me one of their own, and I, I, I cherish that. I hired some of the first employees in the John F. Welsh Technology Center. So I kind of feel I had a hand, even though it might be a little hand, in, in building and nurturing uh, the mm. site here. Mm. I also love to interact with the people, the technology that they are developing, understand. Um, I get to learn a lot more. We call it in GE a gimba, uh, Japanese word that's part of the lean um, physiology about you go where the action is happening. And a lot of action is happening here. And I am where the, where the action is. Mm. I definitely want to uh, kind of jump on that point, the action happening here, just to give uh, listeners, uh, general audience in India, a sense of uh, the person leading all of this. Um, you know, by way of homework, I found that six months ago in an interview, someone introduced you as the, the man who is responsible for 30,000 plus engines. What's the latest count on that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, they are growing. Um, and um, it's an awesome responsibility and it's one that I obviously take very seriously and while I'm accountable for it I am not alone of in the responsibility and I have what I think and probably by any account and I'm not biased that this is the best team mm. in the world mm. it's a winning team and time and time again our team has proven that we invent the future flight and and we bring people home safely and that's a responsibility we take extremely seriously overall um, how many people on your watch in, in aviation now uh several thousands okay and so on the uh, point of all the action being here um, what do you see in India that you like, both in terms of where you think the aviation aerospace market is headed, as well as what you think you can do more in terms of product development and the talent that you see here? So can I, let me start with the last part of it, mm -hmm. because I, I think it really is about talent and about the culture you have that enables that talent to prosper. Uh, I have always been impressed by the talent and capability in India. It's no secret India graduates some of the largest number and some of the best engineers in the world. 
And trust me, in the beginning, when we started in 1999, I came to a hotel suite here. We, had, we didn't have this campus. We rented one to interview people. Um, and uh, in the beginning, it wasn't easy. Time difference was not helping. Differences in culture. Um, we did what a lot of companies are doing right now, which is you give packages all around analysis and computational simulation. That era is way behind us. This team in India today is owning the design and service and developing the technology for all of our wide body engines. And at the same time, they are also supporting services in Malaysia. We just had a discussion today with the Malaysia team where we have one of our biggest um, MRO sites, uh, maintenance repair and overhaul sites. And the team here in India is supporting that. They're supporting customers in the Middle East. They're developing analytics for how to predict dust and its effect on, on engines. They are using we artificial intelligence in order to be doing that. They're developing services technologies to help and support our customers worldwide, not just in the region. So it's not just for India. It's, it's completely part of our global network of engineers that's about developing innovations. And in addition to that, they are a big part of our future generation of technologies that, that we are developing. I, I think that's a big component. Um, and it's very important uh, for us. Uh, now, talking about our products for the future and, and the growth in the industry, the, I think people have an innate desire to fly. And I think what's happening, I'll tell you my experience when I was young. I, you know, I, I had my first flight when I was in fifth grade. And I'll tell you, for two weeks ahead of that, I was preparing. I will go to the ticket. At that time, they were printed tickets, right? And I would just flip it and read every single word in that ticket. And I prepared my attire and I kept saying, oh, is that going to look good? Is that not going to look good? It's a big deal to fly. Now, our engines and our technology and the aircrafts and the growth in the industry enabled flying to be an event, enabled people to fly cheaply and they are able to afford it. And I think we'll just continue to doing that with another important factor going on that is sustainability. That is really the challenge that's facing us all as humans and facing the planet and also facing us as a company. And given our big responsibility, as being the largest engine manufacturer in the world, we have the responsibility, added responsibility, of quite honestly leading and leading in the area of sustainability. And um, I, I think people coming out of COVID, everybody wants to fly. I think people are realizing that buying the, you know, the most recent LCD screen and all, that doesn't create family experience. Fair we want to fly together and have experiences together. We want people to, people want to work in different cities, but want to be able to go visit and pack their parents in a village in northern India, right? And, and be able to go frequently and afford to do that. And that's what this industry is enabling. And with sustainability, I think it's just going to be a factor that's going to drive significant amount of technology for the future. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the central idea that I wanted to learn more about from you in the sense that on the one hand, there's this massive opportunity, albeit currently based on fossil fuel burning engines and aircraft. 
huge demand in India, obviously. Um, and I think Alok was saying in the previous conversation, I had a chance with him, something like a 3x growth is what's being anticipated in the industry in Indian aviation over the next decade or 15 years or something like that. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, there is this urgency in terms of sustainability. So I'm really interested in your thoughts on how you think you can uh, you know, marry your approach to sustainability and the role that you envisage for your team in India on that front. So in, uh, uh, in 2021, in the depth of COVID, when people were not flying, <laughs> uh, we flew to Paris to partner with our Saffron CFM partners in announcing the launch of our RISE program. Well, RISE stands for um, Revolutionary Innovations for Sustainable Engines. And that was a big statement. And we meant it. And we meant it because we believed in it. We believe that we have a role to play and responsibility to lead that what has been incremental in the past is not going to get us sustainable future. And we are going to have to bend the curve with revolutionary technologies. And RISE is a big program. It's not intended to create a product, but it's intended to create and maturing technologies that will demonstrate, flight demonstrate in the middle of the decade that will enable us to pick and choose the technologies that will be the most effective for a sustainable product in the future. That's Now, is that going to get it, us all to net zero by 2050 like the industry committed by itself? No. It's going to burn less of what we think in the future is going to be more expensive fuel, whether it's sustainable aviation fuel or hydrogen or a taxed uh, fossil fuel, you name it. We need to burn far less of it to continue to make it affordable. And then on top of that, as you know, many people are working on sustainable aviation fuel, which we think is going to be a critical component of the future, and hydrogen, which also has its place in the future. And we have programs on also hydroelectric development that we are collaborating also with NASA about. And we have programs on hydrogen that we are developing as well. In addition to maybe a little bit information here that uh, one of our very own employees is chairing the committee that uh, uh, approves uh, sustainable aviation fuel standards. Mm-hmm. Um, so we believe it's going to take all of the above in order to meet these sustainability goals of the future. And it takes not just GE and CFM, it takes government partnerships, it takes the whole industry, takes the entire supply chain, it takes all of us to actually be able to do that. Now, I have been spending most of the day today in discussions and reviews with the team. This team in India is participating in RISE, is participating in the hydroelectric program, is participating in hydrogen in a very fundamental way. They are part of the team that's building and innovating these new technologies that we believe are are critical for uh, for the future. You know, a little story here. When I went to Paris and I came back in 21, and I showed the announcement to my family. I have three kids, uh, one who's an engineer, uh, works in Seattle, and twins who are 12 year old now. At that time, they were still 10. And 
You know what the first question they asked me when I showed them the Rise um, demonstrator? They said, is this sustainable? And I said, yes. And they said, that's good. Mm. That's what we owe to our children and grandchildren. And you are yourself uh, now 54, are you? How old are you? I am, uh, I'm 54, yeah, okay. and a half. <laughs> okay, right. No, I reckon that from your You're gonna take that previous me. comment from <laughs> your first flight at the age of 11 in 1980. So, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so, that was just a. Wow, you, uh, made, a you did the guess. math right. I'm 54. Um, you nailed it. Exactly. Okay, because something of a dumb question. Revolutionary obviously catches people's imagination. Um, but I'm thinking that you can also give us the uh, sort of engineering and scientific thought process behind why. A 20% improvement in performance uh, is revolutionary in aviation sense. Well, in, in traditionally, the best that has happened from one generation to the other is 10 to 15%. Mm. And more recently, it's becoming increasingly hard with the current architecture to gain that, let alone increase over that. And therefore, you just need to have a step function in that. And we targeted 20%. We are actually trying to achieve more. Okay. But that's how you measure it relative to previous technological innovations. We are kind of doubling the speed hmm. of doing it. Now, people might argue, why aren't you quadrupling? We will try. But there is also a balance of you know, maturing that technology. It takes time to do that. Realizing that safety is the number one goal that we have uh, as well. So we have to mature these technologies properly in the right time frame in order for all of us to lift people up and bring them home safely. So, and by way of, uh, you know, giving people a sense of the kinds of innovations that are going into the RISE engine. Yeah. Uh, and I think you have said this also in previous uh, interactions with the media about how the open fan is talked about a lot, but... Uh, Maybe some of the other components uh, have not yet caught people's They have not. Uh, so, I wish so, I can talk more about yeah, it. So tell us about that. <laughs> I think, but you have mentioned the engine, the compact core. Uh, so tell us why that's important. What's the significance? I mean, certainly, uh, I mean, the open fan obviously grabs all the attention. Sure. And, and I cannot actually speak enough about how significant that is. Mm -hmm. uh, and some people argue, well, GE has done an open fan demonstration uh, 30 years ago, perhaps more, 35 years ago. What's new? And this is kind of like saying, well, but Thomas Edison worked on an electric car mm. at the beginning of the previous century. What's new? Why, why are we talking about electric cars now? The, the, the initial uh, open fan back in 1980s, they were counter-rotating fans, so two fans, extremely complicated. And that's the idea for that is to actually just maintain the forward velocity of the aircraft and pressurize the fan. We don't, what we is, what is new is the massive usage of supercomputers. Mm -hmm. We are one of the largest users of supercomputers in the world. And it enabled us to say, we actually don't need counter-rotating fans. We actually can go with only one fan, which now simplifies it significantly. And we can balance, and, and in the 80s, the open fan was very noisy. And supercomputers enabled us to learn that we can actually make a design that is beating today's noise standards. Uh, 
Uh, and we are thrilled about that and still maintaining a fuel burn advantage. Now, talk behind the behind it, lots of technologies in that core. Just to imagine that what we are putting is a core that's the size of a business jet core. So a tiny core that's now powering a 30 to 35,000 pound thrust engine. That's powering a fan the size of a GE9X fan that goes on the 777X. That, that is massive by itself. There are so many now. Now what we are doing is we are taking the technologies from supercomputers and also putting it inside the core. And that's enabling us to innovate shapes of airfoils that quite honestly, you look at them and you say, oh my God, this is impressive. But that's by itself. You can imagine all kind of airfoil shapes, but if you can't make them, then they're not going to go anywhere. And I think that's an, another revolution that's happening that people don't talk enough about. And there are actually two of them related to manufacturing technologies. One of them is additive. Mm -hmm. And additive is enabling us to innovate all kind of complex shapes that people would never have thought to be possible to manufacture in the past. And the second is ceramic matrix composite. And today, GE is the only company together with our partner Safran and CFM to be flying engines with uh, additive and with also ceramic matrix composites. And to date, we are the only one and we intend to build on that and just continue building on that. And the combination of additive and ceramics are actually enabling us to manufacture shapes and geometries with material capabilities that would not have would have been only a dream a few years ago. So we are really actually excited about the combination of all of these technologies. And you can tell we are not leaving any lever that we are not pulling mm. to achieve that sustainable future. Mm. And about your earlier point on the size, in layman's terms, uh, an engine that would that's the size of currently what is powering a seven, ten people kind of aircraft since you said a business jet. Yeah. Uh, going into a wide body? Or, or going into a wide body kind of fan kind size. Of, huh. And you combine the two to make a very efficient aircraft. Wow. Okay. That, that's, I mean, it's just impressive. How uh, far away are you from that? Um, so we are on track. We actually just finished the conceptual design reviews uh -huh. uh, very successfully. Uh, we are heading into preliminary design right now. We are actually even ordering materials. Uh, as we speak, we're actually quite, you know, excited about what's going on there. Mm. We are progressing toward the middle of the decade demonstrator um, um, that uh, we're actually quite excited about. Mm. You all talk in terms of technology readiness levels and things like that. So on yeah. that scale, does that apply here? What is the TRL level? That scale applies here. Uh, when you do flight demonstration, you would be at what we call TRL 6. Mm. And that's what we are targeting. So it's demonstrating the entire system in a relevant environment. So today you're at four, five? We are, it depends on the technology. Like there are technologies that are much, much farther ahead. Like when you talk about making a composite fan, GE has made composite fans since the 1990s. Mm. Um, and this composite fan is has some differences, but it's, and by the way, we have, I don't wanna, I don't want to jinx it, but we have never lost a blade of a composite fan blade um, ever in hundreds of millions of hours of flight. Uh, 
Mm. Uh, so great experience with that. So that one will be ahead on the curve. There will be CMC would be also ahead of, on the curve. There are other technologies that we continue to mature. It depends on the technology uh, that you are doing. But we are intending to progress that. And at any given point in time, there are hundreds of rigs, component testing going on around the world with, you know, maybe a couple of thousand people right now. I, I, I actually quite honestly, you know, we, we don't count. We are actually intending on making sure that we mature it, mature it appropriately. And, and uh, we are, it, you have, whenever we get somebody to actually come and talk to our engineers, not just talk to me, but talk to our engineers and you are gonna see the excitement about the goals and the passion about being able to work on a goal that is as powerful and impactful on a global scale as sustainability in the aviation industry. Okay, over the next 12, 18 months, give us a sense of your top priorities in India. You know, the India team is, you know, when you ask, tell me your top priorities for India, it's not really separate than our top priorities. Hmm. Um, Safety of our flying public, uh, delivering products to our customers that we are very proud of, developing the technology for our future flight. Um, one more thing I'm really proud of in India here is uh, manufacturing. Mm -hmm. I came here in 2018 with our vice president of supply chain, and we were manufacturing very little in India for our jet engines. It grew 20x in the past five years. Mm. Um, and it's going to continue to grow. And I, I want to tell you that some pretty significant components in Leap Engine um, are being made here in India. And we are very proud of that. And, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully I actually expect nothing, but that's going to expand uh, in, uh, in the future. So, and our team here is going to be continuing to support that. Uh, we have our multimodal factory in Pune. Uh, which makes makes also significant not only outsourcing, but we make also significant in India. But we make significant components in Pune, and it's not just for India; it's for the whole world. And we are very proud of, of it because now you're also creating a cycle in which the engineers are learning and they are touching the hardware, and they also go to the MRO in Malaysia to see that hardware coming after the field experience and the service, and they learn and they become better and better engineers as that happens. Is it too far-fetched to think of India as an export hub for aircraft engines for GE? I just, I think I just told you that India is already making parts, parts. for our most modern engine. So but not full aircraft engine. Uh, yeah, but you know, it's uh, I, it, we GE is a global company. Sure, we uh, have a global supply chain. India is a huge component of that. Competition happens, and I I'm sure that India is going to compete and will do very well. I'm really, I'm really passionate, actually, and excited about the potential for what India can do. Because one thing, this team that we have here in the Jack Welch Technology Center here in India is one of the biggest assets that that team has. In fact, might be their biggest asset is the can-do attitude of the people here. Mm. And the team here should be very proud of that. I think the sky is the limit. 
I, I, I really do. Can I now tell you exactly what's going to happen when, I, you know, I'm not a fortune teller sure. to be able to tell you that, but I can tell you that the sky is the limit for what that team could do. Okay. One personal slash professional question. Please. Um, since you've spoken about it previously, uh, I got to learn that you were raised by a single mom. I was. Grew up in Egypt. Well, you did a lot of research about me. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I say this in the following context. You and people like Sundar Pichai, Satya Nadella, probably represent sort of some of the positive aspects of globalization. You know, uh, I'm sure you probably you wouldn't have imagined 40 years ago that one day you'd be running this unit in uh, GE. Uh, Not even 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so the, so I'm, I'm thinking there's a lot of sort of personal growth and learnings over there over the decades. In that context, for you today as an engineering leader, what works? What are your top mantras for yourself? <laughs> it's a great question. It, can I say one thing first? Sure, it's sure. important not to forget your roots mm -hmm. um, and be humble. We are all humans. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's an important trait. A and you are absolutely right in saying if somebody came to me and said, even 10 years ago, let alone 40 years ago, you would be in this position doing what I'm doing right now. I said, that's crazy. Just get out of here. It's just not going to happen. Uh, so I am thankful for GE, really, for giving me the opportunity. And I feel that it's part of my responsibility to give that opportunity to everybody to fulfill their dreams and their capabilities. I, this it's as straightforward as that one trait you know it's perseverance with problem solving mm. by nature of what we are doing we are innovating new technologies and by innovating new technologies it's never a straight line absolutely never and you're just gonna have to have the conviction that this is going to work because the physics says this is going to work. Mm. And I think that perseverance, and this is one of the big things that attracted me to GE, by the way. If I tell you that composite fan blade we spoke about, it failed multiple times in tests in the early development in the 1990s. Mm. But because the physics worked and that team had the conviction, it's now every engine afterwards we did had a composite fan blade and I mentioned you the success when everybody in the industry was saying this is just never gonna work and I saw that same thing with CM ceramics makers composite I saw the same things with additive it's part of the DNA in GE that I felt very attracted to perhaps because it's probably part of my DNA too is you problem solve and you persevere with that and that creates learnings that will enable growth for the future. Growth is not easy. And you mm. just have to approach it that way. Mm. Yeah, turning up and sticking with it. Absolutely. Excellent. Uh, Mohamed, thank you so much. For Harry, thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it for this conversation. I hope you found it interesting. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast app. I'm Hari Thank you for listening.